0: Ruth chapter 4, beginning verse number 1. I'll just let you stay standing while we read and then let you be seated here in a moment. Ruth chapter number 4, beginning with verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee, And he said, "'I will redeem it.' Then said Boaz, "'What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance.' And the kinsman said, "'I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it.' Now this was the manner in former time in Israel, concerning redeeming and concerning changing." For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilion's and Malan's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife. "...to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day." Then look in verse 13, please. "...So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel." And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women her neighbor gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse and the father of David. Let's pray a moment. Our Father, we love you tonight. You've been a wonderful Savior and a sweet Lord to us. We thank you for the good things, Lord, we've already experienced today. The good Holy Spirit that spoke into our hearts. Thank you for the singing and the preaching that we've already heard. Thank you for what you've done in this radio station over the years. Thank you for this dear lady, Lord, that prayed and uh, Lord that loves you. And I just thank you for those that pray for this station. Now, I'd ask you, Lord, to help us as we preach. I pray for the unction of the Holy Ghost. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to hearts and change lives, make an eternal difference, and help us to glorify the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I am going to do something just a little unusual. I am glad that we're uh, broadcasting not just sound but video today because I'm going to do something a little bit unusual and preach without my shoes on and there's a reason for that and I think you'll uh, you may have noticed it in the text and you'll get it as we go along here in a moment but I want to use Ruth chapter 4 and use it as a beginning place tonight and I'd uh, this afternoon and I want to preach for a few moments on this Subject. What you gonna do with that old shoe? What you gonna do with that old shoe? Ruth is a wonderful book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I like to refer to it sometimes as the gospel according to Ruth because there's so much gospel in it. And one of the reasons I love the book of Ruth is because it is a true life story with a happy ending. We read a lot about stories and hear stories of life that are sad and people go through trials and sometimes don't end very well but here's a little girl that started out poorly but ended pretty good it's a story of guilt covered by grace, it's a story of loneliness cured by love, it's a story of a wedding for a widow it's a story of birth for the barren I tell you it's just a wonderful story this little Moabite girl starts out under the condemnation of God and ends up married to the mighty man of wealth Amen. Naomi starts out following a coffin down to the graveyard but ends up rocking a little Grandbaby in her arms. It's just a wonderful story. I like it. I love to read it. I think if the Lord would let me, I'd preach out of Ruth every time I got up. It doesn't always work that way. But I'm interested tonight, uh, this afternoon, in this little exchange that takes place toward the end of the book of Ruth. One of the interesting things about the book of Ruth is that it gives us a, a practical understanding of some unusual Old Testament laws. There is the law of the gleaner. We read about it in the the Old Testament where God said when you harvest your field leave the corners unharvested uh, and he said that was so that the poor, the stranger, the widow and the fatherless could go into those corners and they could reap where they did not sow and they wouldn't starve to death. It always interested me that God said leave the corners harvested but he never did say how big the corners were. That was up to you depending on what kind of a blessing you wanted to be to the, them that were in need. You could punch you out little circle in the middle and leave all the rest of it and be a great blessing. There's another law that is of interest to me and it's the law of the goal or we call it the law of the kinsman redeemer. In the book of Deuteronomy God had said if a man of Israel marries a wife and he dies leaving no son no seed then his brother is to marry the wife the widow and raise up seed to that one that had died so that his name would not be cut off in Israel. And it's It's an unusual uh, sort of a law but God had established it for a reason and we find in a measure an example of it here in the book of Ruth and I'll talk to you about that in a little while. But let me just for a moment before we get to chapter 4 give you, I, I, I know probably the majority of people listening to me today are familiar with the book of Ruth but just in case you're not let me give you a little recap of what's happened. There's a man by the name of Elimelech and his wife Naomi. They live in Bethlehem Judah but a famine comes. Comes up, They're having a hard time finding food to eat. Uh, the Bible does not tell us what conversation they had, but they decided, I can imagine Elimelech came home and said, we're gonna have to move. We can't stay here. Uh, the fields are not producing a harvest. We've gotta go find a place where we can live. And Naomi might say, well, where are we going? He'd say, the only place I know to go is a place called Moab. And she might say, oh no, I, I don't wanna go down to Moab. He said, we don't have any choice. And so they gathered up their family, Elimelech uh, and Naomi. Naomi and Malan and Kailan and they headed down to the country of Moab now the Moabites were under the curse of God the Bible said a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the righteous under the tenth generation but they went down there anyway the Bible said in chapter one they went to sojourn that means they're just going down for a little while that was their intention but every time you get out of the will of God you'll stay there longer than you intended to and they went down there out of the will of God and after ten years they spent there but Elimelech died in the land of Moab and then his sons Malan and Kilian the Bible said took them wives of the women of Moab. I believe that was an indication that they never intended to come back. They settled down out there out of the will of God. Then the Bible said Malan and Kilian died also both of them and the way it's worded in the scripture in chapter 1 it's almost as though the two of them died together very suddenly perhaps under the judgment of God. I don't know but there we have three women and I see them dressed in black in their widow's clothes they followed those coffins down and it's a very sad and depressing time but somebody comes by and says to them that God is blessing again in Bethlehem and so Naomi gathers up her clothes and says to her daughters-in-law I'm going back I'm going back to Bethlehem they said we also go with thee they head up there but along the way Orpah changes her mind she's a picture of an apostate she had all the outward earmarks of religion but nothing on the inside and she went back and her mother-in-law said to Ruth thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods but Ruth the Bible said clave unto Naomi and they come back to Bethlehem when they get there they have nothing oh they own a field that was Elimelech's and was Malan's and Chilion's, but nobody's worked that field it doesn't produce anything it's barren and they don't have any way to live and so in chapter 2 Ruth Ruth says, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn in him whose side I shall find grace. And Naomi said, Go, my daughter. And then the Bible said, Her hap, which means the providence of God, her hap was to light on a field belonging unto Boaz. Boaz is called the mighty man of wealth. He is all through the Bible a picture of our Savior Jesus Christ. In chapter number three, I like it when I'm trying to get to where I'm preaching. I miss having heart time uh, just be patient with me in chapter 2 uh, Boaz helps Ruth so much out in that field drops her those handfuls of purpose that when she comes home she says to uh, uh, Naomi sees all that Ruth has gleaned and she says where hast thou gleaned today and who did take knowledge of thee she said you didn't get this all by yourself and uh, Ruth said well there was this fella named Boaz and he took note to of me.' <laughs> oh glory to God I like it when people say when people look at your life and say where in the world did that come from you didn't do that I said no there's a fella been a watching me and been a helping me amen and so Boaz says to Ruth he said you stay in my field and Ruth said to Naomi he wants me in his field Naomi said you stay there you stay right there in that field well chapter 3 comes up Boaz is down there at the threshing floor winnowing barley and he's laid down and Naomi says to Ruth, I'm gonna find rest for you. I want you to go down and see where Boaz is lying at the heap of corn. And you go in softly and lay down at his feet. And Ruth did that. She laid down at the feet of Boaz, and when he woke up, he was startled. He said, Who are you? She said, I am Ruth. Uh, thou art a near kinsman. And then she said, This spread thy skirt over me, for thou over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In plain North Carolina language, that means, will you marry me? He said, Will you? She said, Will you marry me? You know, know what he said he said a will (laughs) amen he said a will (laughs) oh I remember when I came as a lost sinner I said will you save me he said a will amen well to make a long story short Boaz says to Ruth I'll do the part of the kinsman I'll do what the Bible said what the law said but there's a problem said there's a man who's a nearer kin than I and he really has first choice and first right First dibs, we used to call it when I was growing up. He said, I'm going to have to talk to him. So that's where we come to chapter four. He goes down to the gate, calls the witnesses, and this fella comes along and he said, hey, turn outside, sit down here. Fella sits down, he said, that Naomi's come back out of Bethlehem. She got some land to sell that was our brother Limelech's and I want to buy it, but you have first right. So I thought to advertise thee in front of the inhabitants, you buy it. If you're going to buy it, buy it. If you don't, I'm going to buy it. Fella said, I'll take it. I want that land, I'll take it. He said, well, same day you buy that land from Naomi, you also have to buy it from Ruth to raise up seed to the name of the dead man. He said, you can have the land, but you have to take Ruth too. He said, oh no. I want the land, but I don't want Ruth. Had admire mine inheritance. I'll take the land, but I don't want the woman. You want her, you take her. Now in Deuteronomy, if a man would not do the rite of redemption, if he would not do that, here's what was supposed to happen. The woman was supposed to pull his shoe off and spit in his face. Well, they didn't do that exactly here. They didn't do any spitting, but here's what they did. The man said, I can't buy it, I can't buy it. So he pulled his shoe off and handed it to Boaz. And that was the token that he had given up his right to tread on that land and he'd given that right to Boaz and Boaz said, I'll take it. Now, I'm done warming up. I want to preach a minute. I want to give you an illustration and then make a spiritual application. I want to ask you this question. What happened to that shoe? That fella pulled his shoe off and gave it to Boaz. What happened to it? I'd like to make a suggestion and then preach on a little while. I wonder if he gave it to Ruth. If he took that shoe that was the token of redemption and said, here, Ruth, you keep this. I'm imagining in my mind, stay with me now. Two fellas are walking down a road one day. And they see this little Moabite girl. She's walking down the lane. She's got a shoe under her arm and a smile on her face. And then one fellow says to the other who is that girl? Well, I don't know. She's a Moabite. I can tell by the way she's dressed. He said, yeah, I believe she is. What's that she's got under her arm? Well, it looks like a shoe to me. But it's not a woman's shoe. It's a man's shoe. And it's not used. It's old. And there's only one. Boy, this is a strange thing. Wonder what's going on. He said, well, why don't you ask her? Why don't you just go ask her? So that fella might walk up and here's Ruth. She's a walking along, got that shoe under her arm. She's a patting that shoe and grinning from ear to ear. And he'd say, hey, what, what are you doing with that old shoe? What you carrying that old shoe around? She'd say, oh, this is an important shoe. This shoe has great significance. I'm going to hang on to this shoe. This shoe really means something to me. He'd say, well, what's so important about an old shoe? It's not new. It's not a woman's shoe, and there's only one. You can't wear it. What good is it? What's so important? She might say three things to him. She might say, well, I tell you, I love this old shoe, and I'm going to keep it around, number one, because it reminds me that I was worthless. I was worthless. I tell you how I tell you how worthless I was. I was worth less than dirt. You see, I came back with my mother-in-law and my husband had died and there was a land that belonged to my husband my late husband, and this fella could have bought it and he wanted it. but when he found out I came with it, he decided he didn't want it. He wanted the dirt. he wanted what I had, but he didn't want me. She said, this shoe reminds me that I'm worthless. He might say, "Well, I don't know if I'd carry an old shoe around that it would remind because it reminded me I was worthless," she said, but that ain't all. That shoe not only reminds me I was worthless, it reminds me that even though I was worthless, I was wanted she said there was another fella there by the name of Boaz and that first fella he didn't want me he didn't want nothing to do with me but Boaz for some reason I found grace in his sight and for some reason he wanted me even though I was worthless and he not only bought my land but he bought me and you know what he said he said I bought all that was Malan's and all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylian's but then he said "Moreover, more importantly I have purchased Ruth to uh, become my wife she said this old shoe reminds me that I'm wanted <laughs> I can see Ruth walking through walking down that lane and somebody look at her and despise her because she's dressed like a Moabite she'd say that's alright that somebody loves me That's somebody wants me he said, Well, is that all? She said, No, there's a third thing it reminds me. He said, What's that? She said, It reminds me there's going to be a wedding. I'm fixing to have a wedding. <laughs> I'm going to get married. <laughs> I don't know when it's going to take place exactly. They say, "Ah, oh, who would marry a Moabite girl like you? She'd say, Boaz. they say, Boaz, why, he's the mighty man of wealth. What does he want with a little Moabite girl? Oh, I don't know what he wants with me. Well, what makes you think he'll marry you? Well, I tell you, this right here tells me that there's going to be a wedding. I have no doubt of it in my mind. I got the shoe, Amen. I don't know how long it was between the time he gave her the shoe and the head the wedding. I don't know how long it was. I wonder if it's a day or two. I wonder if she laid her head down on the pillow. And in the middle of the night she woke up and thoughts were assailing her mind. And she was saying to herself, You're a Moabite. He don't care for you. You're fooling yourself. You've lied to yourself. It's a fantasy let wait till morning, you'll see none of it was real. She'd get up off her bed, go out in the living room. It is too real. I got the shoe right here. It really did happen. There really is gonna be a wedding. He really does love me. How do you know? I got the shoe. Now, I want you to think about this a moment. What are you going to do with that old shoe? Ruth had a shoe, and that shoe was the token of Boaz's love Amen. and his promise. Do you know I have an old shoe? Right there it is. I have an old shoe. You know what this shoe tells me? It tells me I'm worthless. It tells me I was a sinner. It tells me I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me and all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. There is nothing. Paul said I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I read in this Bible that I was born worthless. Yeah. Oh, that don't go very good with what people are preaching today. They preach about self-worth, you know, and learning to love yourself. No, I'm going to tell you something, friend. You don't need self-worth. You need to know the one who is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, we're all pretty good. We just got a few problems. (laughs) I was reading the Minnesota Crime Commission. They, they uh, uh, set in motion a, a lengthy study to find out the causes and perhaps the prevention of juvenile delinquency. And so they spent thousands of dollars and uh, probably hundreds of thousands and thousands of man hours to find out how, why children become delinquents. Uh, and they put out a, a report, I mean page after page, and I wouldn't try and tell you all of it, but I'll tell you one conclusion that really sums up the whole thing. And I quote the Minnesota Crime Commission. I'm not talking about a religious organization. I'm talking about a government organization, or a government organization with scientists and and counselors and sociologists and psychologists and PhDs, etc., etc., etc. Here's what they said, and I quote: Every child is born into this world a criminal, self-absorbed, and self-interested. I could have saved them a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of money. That's what my Bible said, but. How hallelujah, there was one who came and died on a criminal's cross and he died to save old criminals that ought to be in hell. I was worthless. (laughs) Worthless. It always interested me that in the book of Ruth, well, in the Bible, Ruth is introduced officially five times officially five times four of those times it will either say Ruth the Moabitus or the Moabitish damsel or the woman of Moab they'll always be that Moabite tag the first four times the last time she's introduced in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 1 and it just says Ruth there's no more moabites you know why that's after the wedding amen and there is no more Moabite and Moab in the Bible is a picture of the flesh the Bible said Moab is deceitful it says Moab loves to be put on display it said Moab loves to be at ease and it said this Moab dies hard with tumult and with noise that's my old flesh it's deceitful it loves to be at ease it loves to be put on display and it dies hard but hallelujah I may have been worthless in this old flesh but somebody loved me amen somebody died for me and one day that old flesh will be gone this shoe right here tells me I was worthless But it also tells me that even though I was worthless I was still wanted. (laughs) Somebody wanted me. Somebody wanted me enough to die on the cross and pay for my sin. You know if I understand that law of the kinsman redeemer correctly if Boaz marries Ruth and I think I wouldn't argue with you about this but I think when Ruth came out into Boaz's field I think he was a 50 year old bachelor. I wouldn't argue with you about that but that's what I think. And so I understand this law correctly if Boaz marries Ruth and they only have one son that son will not bear Boaz's name he'll carry Malan's name and Malan will not be forgotten in Israel but Boaz will just have one so Boaz is willing to become of no reputation to have roof. <laughs> Paul said. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? He did that because he wanted me. He did that because he loved me. He did that to save me. I know there's some people they say, well, you know, I got saved and I've never ever had a doubt. Well, I got news for you. I've had plenty. I've had questions. I've been discouraged. I said, somebody that's saved can never have a doubt. You ought to read about, you ought to read the diary of David Brainerd, that great old missionary to the Indians. I read where he said one night he said one night in the middle of the night I was assailed by thoughts from the enemy he said I was assailed with thoughts that God was not real and that if God was real he couldn't save the Indians he said all through the night I was attacked he said but in the morning I was greatly helped when I opened the holy scriptures I thought to myself you know there have been many a time the devil's come to me in the night time and said you're a fool you've wasted your time it's not real you've been deceived you know what I do? I do what Ruth did. I got up out of that bed and walked out in the living room and got that old shoe and opened it up and said, It is too real. He is too real. I am too saved. I am too going to heaven. I got the shoe. Amen. I may have been worthless, but I still wanted. But then this old shoe tells me something else. Tells me I'm heading for a wedding. I am this afternoon the blushing bride. And the groom loves me. You say, well, where is he? Oh, he went home to fix the place up. You know, in the Jewish wedding, it didn't like it is today. Nowadays, they would just set some girl bats her eyes at a fella and they're in love and they won't get married. Back then, mom and dad got together with the other mom and dad, the parents of the bride and groom, and made a contract. When they finished the contract, that couple was reckoned as espoused We would call it engaged, but it was more than our engagement. They were considered legally married, even though they didn't live together. Now, I was reading one writer, and he said this, I thought it was interesting. He said they finalized that agreement, and then they light a lamp, and they put it in the window of the young lady. They put that lamp there. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And then the son goes home with his father and begins to prepare a place for them to live. That's what Jesus said in John 14. We always use it as a funeral text, but it's not a funeral text. It's a wedding text. Next. let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also he went home to the father's house and began to prepare a place and one day the father will come in and say it's all ready son go get her and he'll get the wedding party and they'll head for that house and when they get to the edge of the town they'll blow the trumpet. he'll That man will cup his hands, uh, the crier to his mouth and say behold a bridegroom cometh and they'll go and get that bride. Now that lamp is interesting. You say what's that lamp for? Well if there's any other boys around town interested in that little girl they come by her house to see that lamp burning they say no mess, um, sense messing with her she's had a lamp lit, she's in love with somebody else, leave her alone. When I got saved my groom to be a little lamp inside of me called the Holy Ghost and when the world comes around the good Holy Ghost said don't you mess with them you remember you're in love you remember you're waiting for somebody else hallelujah one of these days that trumpet sound of the voice of the archangel that shout the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord somebody say oh you premillennialists You pre-tribulation rapturists. You're a bunch of escapists. You got all confused. The devil say he ain't coming, it's all a lie. I got his word. I got the token. If I get discouraged, I just get the old shoe out. What you what you been doing to that old shoe? what have you been doing with your Bible? You ain't going to get any help if it's hidden under a bunch of magazines. Fell down back, back behind the television. Covered with dust up on the shelf. Laying in the church pew all week waiting for you to come back. You ain't going to get no help. You need to get in your Bible. I thought about this. I'm almost done. Obed's been born and he's a teenager now and him and his teenage friends are hanging around the house looking for something to eat. That's what teenagers do. And when they've eaten everything they can find in the house, those teenagers go home and Obed's sitting around there and he's real quiet. And Ruth says to him, "What's the matter with you?" "Oh, nothing." "Nothing." She said, "Our son, I know there's something wrong. What is going on?" He might say, "Mama, I'm embarrassed." Embarrassed yet yeah, said, they're, my friends are making fun of me. Making fun of you. Why? Well, tell me, son. It's that old shoe. My friends say nobody wears shoes like that anymore. Come <laughs> they come in they see that old thing sitting up there. And they say, why does your mama keep that thing around? What good is it? People don't wear that kind anymore. And some people don't think he even needs shoes anymore. Couldn't we get rid of it? Or get a different one? I could see Ruth pick up that old shoe and say, Now, bed, honey, first of all, you wouldn't be here. it weren't for this old shoe and what it means you wouldn't even be here son and second of all we wouldn't have the family we have if it weren't for this old shoe Your, your daddy and I would not have the marriage we have if it weren't for this old shoe and we're not getting rid of it and we don't need a different one We're just going to hang on to this. And I'm going to tell you what we need to tell our children. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for this old book. And your daddy wouldn't be saved. And your mama wouldn't be saved. And you wouldn't have the home you have. And you wouldn't have the family you have. And you wouldn't have the heritage that you have if it weren't for this good old King James Bible. And we don't need another one. And we don't need to get rid of it. We just need to read the one we have and believe it and obey it. I don't know what you're gonna do with your old shoe, but I'm keeping mine. I'm gonna get it out. Woo! I'm gonna get it out. And say, oh God, thank you for that old Bible. Thank you for that word. Thank you for showing me I was lost and that you love me. Thank you for its wonderful promises. I'm gonna read it and study it and hide it in my heart and help it. Let it help me run my life to bring glory and honor to Christ. Say, preacher, I'm full of discouragement. Get your shoe out. I'm overcome by temptation. Get in the old shoe. I don't know what to do next. Read that Bible. It's that old shoe. What are you going to do with that old shoe?